Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Post Football. Welcome to Ukraine Plus Football, the home of Ukrainian football in English language. I'm your host, Adam from Ukrafot24. Summer breaks are over and the clubs are back in pre-season training. A new season of football will soon be upon us. It may not be what we are used to, but football will be played in Ukraine this year. Andrew is with me as always. Andrew, what will the league look like this year? I thought you spoke really well on Sky Sports News earlier this week about it. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Uh, Appreciated. So this week, it has been announced by the Minister of Sport, uh, Vadim Goodsight, that the UPL will be restarting on the 23rd of August, uh, Ukrainian Flag Day. As of right now, it's expected there will be all 16 sides that we've been discussing over the past, you know, few episodes um, that will be taking part. Obviously, the ones that won't be uh, Desna and Mariupol that we already know. Every single stadium will obviously be without any spectators it will need to have an air raid shelter of some kind so that if during the game there is an air raid uh, siren all the players will come off the pitch all the personnel etc go in there and not come out until the air raid uh, is over so we don't know technically how long that might last for what would be the procedure if it lasted for hours on end would the players come out and carry on playing or would the game get uh, rescheduled will the would the match get um, abandoned? It's currently up in the air, but I think that's something that Goodsight and obviously Pavelka and the other people involved are currently trying to sort out. And hopefully we'll find out in the next couple weeks minimum, I guess, and then it'll be a month to go uh, until the UPL. And hopefully that'll just give everyone a bit more clear understanding of what's actually happening. Um, Good to obviously have that date secured and coming from you know, a relatively high-ranking official in the government, well, the highest for sport, you could say. So all gearing up for that. On top of that, you know, they're working together with like MOD, local military administrations and the likes. And obviously, I think the venues at the moment being mooted, Kyiv, Kyiv Oblast, uh, and then Western Ukraine, predominantly Lviv, and uh, Ushorod, which is right near, obviously, the border with uh, Hungary and Slovakia. Got to say, personal opinion on it. Absolutely brilliant news. It's not unprecedented. We saw in the Balkan War, football carrying on in Croatia. We saw all the way back in World War Two, the in England itself, um, wartime football taking on. Now, Ray, got to come to you. Good evening, first of all. Hope you're well over there in Kiev. What is the feeling in Kiev towards the forthcoming season? So we've we've seen many foreigners giving their opinions about it. And very few of them seem to want to listen to people in Ukraine. So here you go, mate. Over to you. What is the opinion over there? Hello, Adam. Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be here as well. Um, Well, the feeling is, I would say, controversial because um, the people who used to go to the stadiums, they are against it now because they say that uh, 
with the air sirens, which can last up to an hour or two, uh, the match is not going to happen because you can't just uh, keep people in uh, the shelter for that long. And it's dangerous, as the ex some of the experts said, it's dangerous for the players themselves because they, if they just stand in the tunnel or whatever for that much time, when if they come back to the pitch, they get a lot of injuries. So um, it's not something that is uh, common in football. And again, the fans are not uh, pleased with the fact that um, some cities are going to be um, hosting the matches, uh, which is quite dangerous still. Uh, so my personal opinion, we should play it. We have to do it. But even say that it should be controlled by the authorities that much because uh, it's not the way football works in Ukraine. And it never did. If we look at people's aspects, uh, we know that the broadcaster is going to change as the football one to three channels have folded. They are closed and the Ukraine media group have dropped all football uh, broadcasts since first time since 2009. It's a relief for some fans like myself, uh, more creative, more uh, inspired broadcasters are going to come in like Satanta and Megogo. And they say that uh, Megogo itself and, and Satanta are the uh, favorites to broadcast UPL news in new season. It's, go it, it's a good thing. And that's why uh, they're going to broadcast it. But again, in terms of organizations and, food and fans, it's still uh, a question with no answer. Thank you for that, Ray. Well, one of the biggest transfer stories of the summer has finally concluded. The question we've been waiting for has been answered. National legend Andrei Yeremolenko has announced his new club. Surprisingly, he will join his old teammate, Sergei Rebrov, at LIE in the UAA. We are joined today by Dima Rebrov. Dima, hi. Hope you are as well as can be in these awful times. Now, what can Yeremolenko expect on his arrival in the Emirate? Yeah, good evening, guys. Uh, it's a very exciting day for for myself obviously this this transfers come i think a little bit out of the blue um there were rumors early on in the window about yama going to fulham or you know people talking about sevilla in spain as an option um dinamo coming back to dinamo as well those rumors have reignited quite a lot in the in the last few days so um there was a lot of uncertainty uncertainty throughout the whole summer and um this move to the UAE has come, like I said, a bit out of the blue, but I'm I'm really excited for it. I'm really excited to watch him play. Obviously, watching LA in games, all of them last season, I think he'll add quite a lot to the team. I think the right wing position was maybe a bit of a weak spot uh, throughout last season, and I think he will be like a significant improvement in that position and and for the team. Um, in terms of like the level of the league and what. Yarmolenko can expect it's it's difficult to say because I think this summer seeing a lot of the a lot of the changes in terms of managerial changes from the other teams across the league I think there'll be a big uh, big increase in competition I don't think Alain will have it as easy um, in the league next season as they did this season I think some some teams are are making some serious changes uh, and yeah it's going to be a lot more of a challenge and I think the level is going to improve quite a bit compared to last season. Now, one thing I'm, I'm curious about as well, being in the Middle East and, and those ridiculous temperatures and that, what's the style of football like in the UAE and how does it compare to what Yarmolenko has seen in, in the past? I think the tempo is a lot lower 
um, like you mentioned, the heat, I think, is a major factor. Uh, it's been said, you know, my dad said quite a few times in the press conferences about the heat and how it's difficult for, for teams, obviously not just LIN, but for all teams to play at, at a high level, at high intensity for all games. It's quite often like end-to-end football, but not particularly at a, at a high pace, you know. But being at LIN, who are one of the better teams in the league, I think that will suit Jan Malenko. He's a player who likes to be on the ball, a technical player, you know, being at West Ham, for example, a lot of the games, uh, he had to do quite a lot of defending. I don't think that style necessarily suited him that much. But going to Alain, again, playing for a team who's one of the better teams in their league, like he was at Dimo Kiev, I think he'll have enough time on the ball um, and enough time attacking, which I think is, is his best attributes. And I think we'll see the best of, of Yarmolenko again, similar to the times that we had at the camera. That's great to see. Now, I know a lot of people who are listening to this are going to have a specific question as well. You just mentioned you'd watched all of the allying games over the season. Now, for people outside of the Emirates, what are the best places to turn to to get access to games in the UAE? Yeah, so there's a website which is adsports.ae, but it's quite inconsistent on there because sometimes they they block the streams because of location, but sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. There's also a YouTube channel which which I sent to Andrew, um, who can who can share it if he wants to, which is a lot more reliable. They have all the all the league games streamed on there, and also saved as as vods, so people can look back at full matches at highlights on on that channel. Ah, cheers! Thank you for that, and I know a lot of people at home will be saying thank you as well. Now. Ray, were you as surprised as me with this transfer? Uh, I did, Adam. Uh, I should say that I'm not happy with it uh, because uh, Yermolenko just followed the steps of a typical Ukrainian footballer abroad. Just go for comfort. And it's not even the retirement, you know, it's just uh, he signed a one-year deal and he obviously considering coming back to Ukraine. I mean, it's an obvious move. He's not that old. Uh, we can remember uh, legends of the past like Yero, Desai, uh, Baristuta playing in um, Emirates or Qatar. Uh, maybe Ermolenko just remembered them and thought like, well, I'm going to be cool, right? But um, in terms of his um, offers that he had, championship, maybe even Fulham, some other European clubs, well, he didn't, he didn't fall for that. And... Um, Every Ukrainian player would do the same at his place. I mean, from old school, you know, he is an old school player, just like Konoplyanka, just like the other stars of the noughties. Uh, modern stars like Mudrik, he is a popular player right now on the market. Maybe Yarmoluk, uh, right? He is coming on terms with uh, English club. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I, sh- I would say that Yarmolenko should have uh, should have moved on with Europe and just uh, to write, continuing writing that that fairy tale. You know, it's it's I I know that's not the end to his fairy tale, but in terms of the image of Ukrainian football, uh, I think he only just became a star, uh, a mid-level star, or in European football, maybe an average star. But with these goals we, we have seen in spring to Sevilla and in, um, in Premier League, I don't remember who he scored for, uh, with West Ham, it was only just the moment when he became that person, that um, figure yeah, in European football. And now he's moving on with his own personal story, with his life. 
he's not uh, paying attention to all this white noise around him, which is fair play to him. Again, we have our youngsters who are going to make a change, a difference, which we all hope for. Andrew, do you echo those words or you got a slightly different take? It's a difficult one because I understand, obviously, the reason for it. Probably the easy option, of course, but it's a, it's a comfortable one. And I mean, in his current age, with the injuries he's had over the past few years, he's probably thinking, listen, I can't be asked to be sitting on the bench again, even if I go to Fulham or whatever. He was never guaranteed to play or start there regularly, you know, on the basis that Harry Wilson plays in the same position. And we obviously don't know who the other clubs were in for him. You know, the the English, the other English club, allegedly from Viktor Vatsko, uh, the championship side. Who knows if that was even true? But he's gone for this. It's only a year, of course. I mean, it should possibly give him a bit of a, a reintroduction to regular football, which he hasn't actually had for about three years, in all honesty. It'll probably be a gentle introduction, as Dim has already said. Uh, low intensity over there. He probably should be able to get a few goals, you know, make a name for himself, a bit of silverware, decent bit of money um, on top of that. Some people were saying, hey, it's great. Listen, he's obviously the highest paid Ukrainian footballer out there. He can get paid some more money, donate more money to Ukrainian armed forces and the likes. And then, you know, that eventual return to Dynamo Kiev, whenever that may be, even if it's not next season or whenever it ends up, um, he can do that, come there and try and beat Serhira Brov's record <laughs> in the goal scoring. But um, we'll see if that ever comes to it. It will be interesting. But in general, I can't, I can't complain too much about it. It's, I was disappointed, of course, because I would just love to have him in another English club. But, you know, um, I don't knock him for, for taking it based on his age and recent, recent amount of injuries and all that kind of stuff. Sorry, guys. Let me just throw it into you there. Now, is he going to retire or being kicked off from the national team? For, for me, you, you would have to ask yourself, playing in the UAE, playing in uh, the Gulf region, does that give you the standard required to keep playing in the national team level? That's one question that needs asking. The second one is, who would replace, who would replace him in the team? At the moment, I don't have an answer to that question. So in the short term, I think in September, you see him still playing in the team. In midterm, are we starting to see him disappear? Quite possibly so. Yeah, no, I definitely think he's going to play the remainder of the matches this year. Probably Petrakov, as long as he stays, I think we'll keep calling him up as captain. And, you know, especially if he... Like I said, if he's going to be getting this regular game time, it could only, I think it would only help benefit him because he's actually going to pick up the match fitness that we've seen. He's got actually terrible match fitness over the past few years because he's not been playing anywhere. And, you know, it's only so good, okay, he can turn it on and score the goals for Zbirna, but then he's obviously blown out his ass kind of thing 65 minutes onwards. So I think it's actually going to help him personally. And I mean, look, he's going to be playing in the heat and then he's going to be coming back to. Um, uh, Poland, wherever Ukraine could be playing, it should it should be to his. Um, I think it will be quite a positive for for the short midterm. Like I say, Adam, but I think maybe from you know the next qualifying campaign for the Euros, maybe whoever's going to be in charge of this Petrakov, if it's someone else, they might try and start phasing him out. Might start playing Tankov on the right in his favoured position, Mudrik obviously on the left as you know those new the new wave. 
uh, Konoprianka and Yarmolenko, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what happens from that. Yeah, we'll have a bigger clue in October when the draw's made for the European qualifiers as to how, how that's going to progress as well. I mean, Andrew, earlier this summer, we said this could be one of those great transfer windows for Ukrainian football. Is it living up to that or is it sort of flattering to deceive? Oh, um, I don't think it's reached anywhere near its potential yet. That's for sure. I mean, we've had rumours plenty. I'll list for a few and I think then we can sort of rebounce back on the analysis of all the things so far. I think we'll start with the big one that everyone was hoping, Mihaila um, Mudrik. Currently, that seems to be going a bit cold, but every single Friday, Ihor Tsahanek on his live show gives us an extra update that, you know, spikes up um, some interest in that. But <laughs> on the ground, I don't think anything's actually moving that quickly. Uh, so apparently Bayer Leverkusen have fallen away in terms of their interest has waned, evidently probably due to maybe negotiation problems. Uh, Shakhtar obviously apparently want a lot of money for him. Maybe that's an off-putter. Um, because apparently personal terms and all that kind of stuff was agreed. So that's an interesting one. Artem Dovbik, that's all been going quiet for, I don't know, a couple of weeks minimum. He's training with Dnipro 1 now in their preseason camp in Slovenia. Scored, I think, a brace or maybe a hat-trick or something against uh, some amateur side where Dnipro 1 won uh, 14-0. But, you know, you fear that the longer he stays for, Possibly he might not get that dream move to either Torino in Syria, where I think there's a lot of um, hope for him because obviously Belotti's gone. Um, he could be starting up front there. It's a good physical league for him. I think it will be, um, you know, tactically astute as well. He'll be able to play off the the forwards and uh, the other forwards and all that kind of stuff. It'll be it'll be interesting. But yeah, that's sort of I don't know, gone cold. Um, hopefully even by the time you're listening to this guys there might be some update but for the time being not much and then go to the more hotter I guess moves of the moment Yehor Yarmoluk not Yarmolenko of course but uh, he is moving to Brentford as has been mooted for a number of weeks Uh, I think it's more or less done it's just waiting on the confirmation announcement um, we've been waiting a while Fabrizio Romano has even said who's got quite close links to Vadim Shabli, I think who is Yehor Yarmouk's agent that is going to be announced after Brentford do two announcements I think they've done the first one waiting on another one and then hopefully Yarmouk will join 1.5 million euro fee he's got a, a special visa you know, on the basis that he's an extraordinary talent because obviously he's not played enough senior games at all to be getting a British visa on the off and it's not a refugee visa either. So that's interesting. And it's generally expected that he will probably train and maybe play in some of the cup games, but with the senior team, but on the whole, he'll be playing for Brentford B at least for the next season minimum as he adapts to the British game. So that is probably for now, as we're talking, the most concrete, uh, move that we can look forward to as I say you might even be listening to this and it's already happened it's 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 meant to happen at some point this week and we're recording on a Wednesday so who knows um, and then I'd probably say just finally on the transfer front of more the bigger the bigger interesting ones Mikola Matvienko 
this is the new one that sort of hit us out the blue as well this past week. Ajax allegedly interested in him, according to Viktor Vatsko. Then, a few days ago, we saw Vadim Shablin meet with Klaus-Jan Huntelaar, who is in the Ajax hierarchy, managerial side of things. And then, literally, when the day of recording this, uh, Telegraph, the, the Telegraph in Netherlands, which are very, you know, reputable source, um, they say, essentially, uh, it's close and that Ajax are very much interested. They're going to put in an offer for sure of around 15 million euros. And he's going to be the replacement for Lissandro Martinez, who's apparently moving or very close to Man United for about 45 to 50 million. So it's, it's going to be interesting if that happens. Another caveat, obviously, is that Shakhtar uh, are having their pre-season training camp over the next couple of weeks in Netherlands. So, you know, that's handy too. Feyenoord were apparently interested too, but I mean... Personally speaking, I think Ajax would be the best move for him in the Netherlands if we're going to go for the teams that are currently interested or are showing a market of wanting to put a bid in for him or whatever. Uh, they can probably afford 15 million euros. Whether Shakhtar want a part for that is another question. Um, and then on top of that, uh, he'll get regular Champions League football. He'll be challenging for the title. And then hopefully, you know, you know, a season or season and a half, he can make that step to one of those top five leagues that we've been hoping and wanting to see him. It's been a mad summer so far. I mean, Dima, I'm going to turn to you here, because being a Ukrainian football watcher for, for many years, we're seeing these transfers stumble. You know, Mudrik's one has stumbled, Dovbik, we're not quite sure what's going on there. Zabani was one that was mooted earlier this summer and he dropped off Spurs radar. Uh, Sagankov's been mooted around. Do you see this problem of Ukrainian players trying to leave uh, to bigger clubs and and the transfers failing continue? Or are you optimistic that by the end of the summer we're going to see some of these deals go through? Yes, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say I'm like hugely concerned because I think with the news of the Ukrainian league resuming, I think especially for the domestic players, it's still football being played. So for guys like Dovbek, Mudrik, Zabarnetsyankov, I think Sionkov may be lesser extent because I think he's the most ready one out of them all and I think he's the oldest one out of them all. He probably needs that move more than anyone else. But for guys like Zabarne, Dorbek, Mudrik and others, I don't think it's a huge issue necessarily staying in Ukraine, playing for Ukrainian teams. I think the Ukrainian league still needs to be a strong league because it's going to face a lot of problems once the league restarts. I think the quality of football still has to be there. Um, I think people from around Europe, around the world, will be more interested in, in the Ukrainian league, watching the Ukrainian league, if there are good players playing in it. And obviously for people in Ukraine as well, the high level of football that those players can provide is just going to be a, a big benefit. So personally, I, I'm not like that bothered about not seeing transfers happen. It's obviously nice uh, you know, seeing Ukrainian players play for, for bigger clubs around Europe playing in Champions League Europe League. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's a huge concern for me. In terms of whether, whether the transfers will happen towards the end of the window, I think there's a possibility. You'd like to see like business being done early, but I think a lot of the times these transfers can drag on. Um, so certainly I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we, we have a few, a few transfers, a few moves that we're, we're perhaps not really aware of right now. 
um, a few options that may pop up towards the end of the window for, for a few domestic players. Certainly look forward to seeing those as well. Uh, from my standpoint, I think it's it's great for the national team to for these these young talents in particular to be challenged uh, earlier on in their career. Probably one of the clubs that's been hardest hit in the transfer market has been Shakhtar. Uh, over the last few months, with rumours of them taking FIFA to court over their decisions. Ray, what's your take on the whole uh, Shakhtar situation? Do you think they're, they're right to be suing FIFA? That's clearly an act of desperation. And uh, at some point, uh, saving uh, the reputation which Shakhtar has, playing uh, the foreigners and winning a lot in Europe. Uh, but now it's... Uh, all over. And what a week it has been, right? Uh, the football channels are closed. Shakhtar start playing with the Ukrainians. No more Brazilians for them. The derby is gone. So none of us would ever imagine that. It's good for the Ukrainian football, right? They are going to watch their academy more closely now. And hey, their uh, ex-manager uh, of their academy is now the coach of Zoria, right? Van Leuven. So, uh, I don't think that the um, FIFA move is going to pan out at any point. Shakhtar will be Ukrainian. How about that? That's it. That's all you need to know. About time as well, certainly. Uh, I do feel sorry. There is a certain amount of sorry for them. With the Solomon case in particular, I think has been most, most galling where they quite clearly have been screwed out of a few million quid there. Um, Andrew, what else has been going on over the last few weeks? Yeah, so it's it's a busy one. It's been a busy one, that's for sure. Well, the latest story, well, I think the biggest one that we haven't touched on just yet is Alexander Zinchenko, um, as being reported by The Athletics, David Ornstein, is in the early stages of a move to Arsenal. As in, it doesn't mean that he's close or even himself has agreed, but it says that Arsenal are preparing a bid for the the City player. So we'll see how that goes on. I think it's very early days to even be contemplating anything serious just for now. Um, I've seen some Arsenal fans talking about the fact that, oh yeah, it'll be a great competition for Tierney at left-back. There's no way that Zinchenko is going to be moving to Arsenal, giving up the Champions League and all the rest of it, the title challenge, to go and be a left-back at Arsenal um, in Arteta's team. I mean, even if he's got links with him or whatever from City days and uh, Gabriel Zeus and all that kind of stuff, I do not see him leaving unless, he, unless he's guaranteed a place in the, in the middle of the park. And obviously, he's got enough trust in the structure that Arsenal can be challenging for some silverware or be playing in the Champions League at least in the next couple of seasons. Because, yes... Um, it seems like City apparently are open for offers for Zinchenko because obviously they want to get rid of him. Apparently, we don't know if that's true or not. I think that's a mistake personally. They obviously want to bring that Cucurella in for about 50 million euros or however much it is from Brighton. Uh, we'll see. But um, early days yet, but it seems that Arsenal are looking into uh, Alexander Zinchenko and it's sort of the first official um news around that coming out of quite a credible source. Elsewhere, obviously, we've just alluded to the new manager uh, at Shakhtar, uh, Igor Jovicevic. 
Shakhtar are moving to the Netherlands for their pre-season training camp imminently, as far as I'm aware. When all of the some of the senior players will link up, etc., is another story. But we saw some of the ones that are based currently in Ukraine, like Bondar Konoplya, Viktor Kornienko, and a few others who have been in Ukraine. They got their medicals in Kiev. Hopefully, the other senior players will be joining them shortly. Yeah. So now we've sort of had a, I guess, a black hole open because Jovicovic has obviously left Dnipro one in these strange circumstances. Then we've got Metalist Kharkiv, who everyone was expecting possibly to have some problems because obviously Yaroslavsky is currently having some issues of his own with obviously his, not just his business, but with the potential case of him being involved in a fatal car accident. Um, he arrived uh, back at the Ukrainian border this week. Uh, he was kept there for a while or something like that, took a DNA test for that particular thing, and he's going to be summoned um, by the authorities to give evidence and some other things um, in the coming days. But on top of that, he had an online meeting with Metalist Tadkiv, I guess the hierarchy, the club, and everyone else. And he confirmed the rumours over the past few weeks that Alexander Kutcher is the new Dnipro One manager. Uh, he's just left uh, Metalist. Um, and he's moved to Dnipro 1. Um, similarly, uh, it's not actually been confirmed by uh, Yaroslavsky or in the sort of Metalist uh, Kharkiv press release that Yefen Krasnikov, the vice president of Metalist Kharkiv, is also going to Dnipro 1, and he's going to become the sporting director. Um, but, I mean, for the past week, he's carrying on saying things about on behalf of Metalist. He's saying that Metalist will carry on living, that Metalist will be getting 1 million euro compensation for Kutcher. Also confirmed in that press release, we had uh, a number of players, apparently, not named which ones exactly just yet, but a number of senior players, Ukrainians, I think, on the whole, will be moving on loan to Dnipro 1 as well. And then vice versa, some players from Deep Pro 1 will probably eventually move to Metalist to bump that up. Um, and the one that will be coming into Metalist in terms of a hierarchy level is uh, Vasil Kobin. He's going to be the new sporting director there, former Menai manager, of course. So that'll be interesting to see. I don't know how much power he's really going to have, what sort of club Metalist Tadkiv are even going to be after, you know, the massive ambitions we've seen them have over the past couple of years. I think it's going to be very much like a, a mid-table side, sadly, uh, after all that promise, because I think the funding will obviously dry up eventually and we have no idea what um, Yaroslavsky's actual thoughts are on the future, despite his potential, well, f uh, statements of commitment to the club even though he's been sort of skirting around certain questions, saying there's full focus on the country at hand and all this other stuff, whilst uh, avoiding maybe the direct answers uh, relating to the football. Um, on top of that, uh, you know, we've seen some other uh, other bits and pieces, transfer news. Uh, Nazar Voloshin from Dynamo Kiev, highly rated under-19 winger, um, potential you know, protege to Viktor Tsankov. He's going to be moving to Krivbas for some extra time over there. Um, and maybe a bit away from 
the UPL in general, uh, our good friend, friend of the pod, Max Kuchuriavi, made his debut for St. Johnston, uh, played 66 minutes in a cup game this week. Um, it was nil-nil when he went off. Then St. Johnston actually lost on penalties in that one. And we're hoping to see him feature heavily for the team because he's had a lot of praise from the local press. Everyone's saying good stuff about him. Um, hopefully he can keep it up and um, looks like he won't be being loaned anywhere. So that's all good. And yeah, I, I think it, it's, it's, been, it's been a bit chaotic, really. Um, for some reason, it's always at the start of the week, all these big stories and it sort of dies down every, uh, towards the end. And maybe, you know, I don't know why, but I'm sure that uh, by the time we're recording the next episode, everything should be a lot clearer not just regarding the UPL structure, but also what's going on with Pro one what's going on with Metalist, uh, what's going on with Shakhtar, who haven't announced anything really officially just yet. Um, it's going to be interesting, though, none the same. And by the time we record next, the European campaigns of Warskler and Dinamo will have begun as well. Uh, both of them get into action next week. Ray, what are your hopes for them? Skeptical. We skipped the, the European season this, the next uh, 22, 23. We're not making it, even in Conference League. Not in the nearest perspective. Not, not Vorskla nor Dynamo. And uh, just a few bits on Dnipro and Metalist struggle. Um, this is the classic uh, Ukrainian football knocking on door, right? So basically, you just steal the coach, you take advantage of the team, which was really um hurt by the war like the, the city of Kharkiv it's still ongoing and you just take everything from it and you simply relocate it to the club which took a high position last season and you possess everything he had uh, the club and you move on and the people are like only talking about these two clubs now but it's not the thing in Ukrainian football it's not oligarch football anymore but it's still ongoing and there's nothing we can do about it. Just spectate. Coming back to your question, Adam, still we're not making the European season. And I think Nipro 1 is going to play in the Europa League as well, isn't it? It is, but their qualification starts next month. Oh, okay, got it. Right, Dima, I have a little bird tells me you've been watching Fenerbahce a lot <laughs> recently. Um, I know you watched Dinamo. Have Dinamo got a chance against them? Where are their weaknesses? Yeah, you say I wish a lot of Fenerbahce. I wish one game. I wish one friendly against Hull. But from that game, they looked they looked really good. To be fair, um, then they scored one two nil. They scored in the eighty eighth minute, eighty ninth minute. So then he got the first goal in the end. You, you might think it was a tough game, but they they destroyed them really the whole game. They look really good. They look like a good team. They've got good players. Um, the center backs Salai and um, the Korean guy Kim Min Jae, I think it is, two very good center backs. Um, and yeah, like all around the pitch, they've got good players, they've got really good players, a lot of good foreign players as well, and some good uh, domestic Turkish ones. But in terms of the, the chances, yeah, I think Fenerbahce are, are the favorites in the tie. Uh, I don't think there's much difference in terms of the quality of, of the two teams, so I think. Fenerbahce are a strong team, Dinamo are a strong team, but ultimately Fenerbahce playing their game at home, Dinamo playing their game on a neutral venue, albeit 
in Poland is more kind of friendly to, to Dinamo, I guess, and Fenerbahce. But I think that that will be uh, a significant advantage to, to Fenerbahce having their home game at their home, and especially with it being a second leg, uh, the deciding game being at home, I think it is quite a, uh, an advantage for them. But you know, I, I would have been confident in in Dinamo in 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 the team because. I think as much as the war has, has had an impact on, on everyone, whether it's physically in terms of you know preparation, uh, lack of match practice in the last few months, or mentally, I guess, even more so. You know, Physically-wise, Dinamo still have played a lot of games. They've played a lot of charity games. They've been playing friendlies now. They've had the national team games for, for the players that played with the national team, and there's quite a lot of them in the Dinamo squad. They had was it five, five Ukraine games in the space of two weeks. So I think physically wise, they, they kind of should be in good shape. But coming against a, a good team in Fenerbahce, I think it will be difficult. Um, it'll be a close tie, I think. But uh, I do think Fenerbahce are slight favourites. But hopefully, hopefully I'm wrong. So I'm a big fan of that Korean centre-half as well. I was just scouting him earlier today. and he, he really did catch my eye. Hopefully he has a bad game on the next Tuesday. Oh, and of course... Everyone's written off Falskler there, I take it, Andrew. It's going to be tough for them, of course. I mean, they're playing in Stockholm, both of the legs. So I don't know if they obviously they probably will be staying there for a week. Playing, um, I think, in obviously AIK Stockholm's home stadium and then playing in their like arch rivals at either Hammerby or Djurgården or whoever else, uh, somewhere else. So it will be an interesting dynamic. I guess, whether some of those opposing fans that are obviously rivals of AIK come and start supporting Vorskler will be interesting to see, or whether it's just going to be an empty stadium because no one can be asked. That will be that will be interesting, but it's going to be tough for them. Obviously, we haven't really seen Viktor Skripnik football um, at Vorskler yet, but possibly it could be something good. Uh, they signed, obviously, two Brazilians in the past week. Felipe and Marlison. Marlison obviously playing for Metalis 925 last season. Both of them are thinking on loan. And then also Denis Olinik, the veteran, uh, the ex-Ukraine international. Um, he's also there after a long spell in Finland. So uh, we will see. It can't be anything worse than last, than last summer when, uh, you know, Vodka lost to Cups and that was, and their team was, well, Vodka's team was quite good to say the least, and they still didn't manage to to do anything. So I think, sadly, it's going to be it's going to be against them. But, you know, you never know in football these days. No, Mr. Till is out injured still, I think, for Volskva. So we'll be missing from those games as well. Sadly, sadly, sadly. I've got one thing I will say before we move on. I'm going to... Pick up, pick on you here, Ray. Uh, Dinamo just need to win one of their qualification games to make the European season in the Conference League. That's if they drop into the Europa League, then drop into the Conference League. Just one win, and they will be seeded in every single one of those games. So, despite all the impact, uh, everything that Dima mentioned there as well, I, I'm still fully confident that we will get one win and then probably bow out in the Conference League group stage. But we will have some autumn football 
That's my argument anyway. Let's move on. It's not only the UPL that's been discussed, but the PFL have started to make announcements. There's started to be some news coming from them. What has it been, Andrew? Yeah, so our good friend uh, Ilya Dulin, who runs PFL Ukraine, he kindly um, always aggregates all the info coming out of the PFL. And he recently constructed two graphics on the statement that Persha Liha and Druha Liha are essentially merging for 22-23. A bit of a surprise, but not a surprise when you look at how many sides have pulled out. I'm not going to list them all because there's a lot of them. Only a small amount have folded. The vast majority of them say they're just taking this season out. Some of them will be playing amateur football. They say it's just easier, less costs. Uh, They can carry on doing that if needed and can carry on. The ones that haven't withdrawn and are ready to play, um, I think there's 16 sides. Uh, It's going to be eight clubs in each split regional or group you could say, uh, Group A and Group B. Um, the likes of Karpate are going to be there, LNZ, Obolon, of course. All the, all the big ones that have got decent financial backing will be around. Um, sadly, the likes of, you know, Allianz that we've been seeing a lot of over the past few years won't be taking part because obviously I think they have been heavily affected by the stuff that has been going on in Sulmir with due to the Russian um, attacks on the city and the region as well. Uh, obviously, the other summer clubs have also withdrawn. A, f- a number of the Dnipro sides, I think, are doing okay. VPK Agro is up in question, but FC Peramoha has apparently withdrawn from the league as well. So it's. I think we're not going to know for certain until the league actually starts. When that is going to be, when the league is actually going to restart, that's not been confirmed yet. I've not even seen a proper date for when that's going to be resumed. But it's generally guesswork that it's going to be in and around the same time as the UPL. Um, How that's going to work logistically, though, is another question. Because obviously these matches are a lot less low level. Obviously, they're going to be played behind closed doors. Where are they going to be played? Are they going to be played in Western Ukraine, etc.? Are they going to be played locally, um, wherever they are in the country? Uh, how are all the, some of the teams going to be getting from one place to another? Yeah, it's a difficult one to even, you know, think about, really. Uh, let alone the UPL, as most of the sides have got a bit more funding. The likes of Shakhtar have said that they will be donating some of their European money to help prop up some of the other clubs or, you know, help out. It's going to be interesting. But uh, right now, we've only got this sort of preliminary two-group split, which is also only alleged. Um, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But we've seen a lot of the clubs like LNZ, Karpate, um, and more. They've already started pre-season training. They're playing friendlies. And I think they're looking forward to the season if it restarts for them. And we hope it does. I mean, Ray, as an Obelon fan, are you hoping to see the football? Are you hoping to see Obelon play or not see them play? As it will be behind closed doors. <laughs> no, no, we will, we will be out there in the corner as we did in COVID times. But old timers remember that. But um, it's crazy to think that to realize that Obolon is actually the most stable club in PFL. I mean, we've been out there, nothing happening, no news at all. Like all the players are gone through all throughout all Europe, and only now we are getting to know that they are actually gone, right? But the club lives, and that's 
ex exciting in terms of how because you know all these um, municipal um, clubs which are run by the state in different cities they fold they reappear they become come back to life through amateur football and it's all like windmill without Bologna it never happens if I would like to add a few words on PFL is that FCK Mariupol is actually on cards and there's a higher chance that they're going to play it's a new club based on Yarut Mariupol uh, their president apparently saved hundreds of people on the club bus during the war and now they are in Kiev Oblast and they are about to start in the group with Obolon. It's a weird um, segment because VPK Agro apparently is called VPK Agro Vishneve, which is also Kiev Oblast and it's not maybe it's 75% that they're not going to play. Although Chaika from the Makari region, which is close to Bucha, they are, they are planning to resume their uh, matches in Druha Liga. Again, they might be um, uh, joined with Persha, as Andrew suggested. Uh, another interesting side is Dinas Vizgorod, which is Kiev Oblast. Vizgorod is the city which is highly, um, had a high level of struggle during the war, and it's very protected now. Uh, Alexander Holovko, the famous Dynamo uh, player, is the coach out there. And it's going to be a derby within North Kiev and, you know, the north part of Kiev Oblast with Obol and Dinas. Uh, finally, Skoruk uh, from Nikopol uh, is apparently about to start in Persia League as well. A club named after its owner. You don't see that much. And as a PS about the UPL, um, Andrew mentioned Denis Olinik. I cannot ignore the fact that Korkishko, Olinik, Dovhi and Rybalka are all teaming up in the UPL next season for another part of hangover movie because those legends are from dinamo 2 academy and the old timers remember them <laughs> that's great to hear that's great to hear. thank you ray um, that's it for today guys um it's been a great episode i'm um, i am getting excited for the season now it's still five weeks away we've got a, <laughs> it's going to be a huge build-up but european football next week will be great to watch dima thank you so much for joining us it's been great to get your insight and let your dad know let that Alain are going to have a huge load of extra people following them this season now he must be over the moon yeah yeah well thanks thanks again for having me guys it's been uh it's been enjoyable as always thank you thank you ray i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have today mate definitely looking forward to the pfl uh, competition and uh hoping for more news about it as we record next time definitely so andrew thanks for taking time out from your busy schedule you you appear everywhere these days no thanks it's been been really good uh good chat about everything related to the football hopefully it's been quite informative as well i think we try we've squeezed in everything that's possible to possibly even talk about about ukrainian football over the past couple of weeks that's gone on and hopefully there'll be more to talk about um more certain uh, information to come out of us the next time we meet but yeah have a good one everyone definitely so definitely so and that's it then for today everyone till next time take care stay safe and goodbye for now bye bye